Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music that can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 50 minutes to both. Today we speak to Reginald Hubbard, a Democratic Party apparatchik, about his role in the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign and the way forward for progressives under President Trump. Grammy Award for the best R&B instrumental album in 1978. Brazilian Rhyme was the shortest track from the album and has somewhat been one of the most popular tracks from it. Coming in at only 1 minute 20, this track was reworked by Rob Webster in 2010. Yes, sir. It's been a bit of a momentous week if you're an American, wouldn't you say? Uh, it's been a momentous year, I'd imagine. <laughs> now you, yeah. now you are deeply meshed into the the workings of the Democratic Party. Um, yeah. Could you just explain to people what exactly you did in the last presidential election? Okay. Uh, so without getting too too into the weeds, uh, I I do. In terms of electoral campaigning, I do what's called advance. And so advance is essentially like executive production meets mission impossible. Um, you know, campaigns call you and say your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to produce this event with 15,000 people in 36 hours. Go get it. 
and the challenge being is that you can't say no and you can't, you can't and you can't make a mistake so you have to like summon all your wits about you all of your contacts and make it work and so for this cycle uh starting at the end of september 2015 i worked uh with the bernie sanders campaign and started out doing it piecemeal but from december through the convention uh was one of the main executive producers for the bernie sanders experience through the primary and at the democratic convention i went to the uh bernie's i think his last campaign rally was actually in san francisco just by golden mm-hmm. gate bridge and um that had somewhat of a mooted atmosphere because I think that morning he had basically said he was actually going to concede to Hillary, though there was a, an amazing crowd there. Uh, mm-hmm. But if I go back a step, um, mm-hmm. why did you believe in Bernie? Why did you decide to campaign for Bernie? Uh, with all due respect to the Clinton campaign, because um, there's still a bit of a tension uh, even now, Bernie spoke to me. I'm actually a left-leaning independent. Um, you know, uh, I've worked in the Democratic Party, um, but my political experience has been interesting because I'm African-American. So there are certain aspects of the experience that I've had that could be articulated in racist terms, like how come I didn't get certain opportunities other people got. Um, as a matter of fact, that's why I've been in and out of uh, Democratic politics, because sometimes you just need a reset and a break from institutional crazy. So... I took some time off and when Bernie's campaign was announced, I was like, this is the stuff I actually believe in. I was a philosophy major uh, at Yale and been kind of left-leaning my whole life. As a matter of fact, like my life doesn't exist without progressive politics. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I was the first in my fa- I was the first in my family to go to college um, as an African-American and I got good deals on my education loans because of Bill Clinton's educational policy. So without progressive politics, I don't exist. But yeah. what, 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 what's interesting, though, is that one of the reasons why people said that Bernie's campaign ultimately just just failed was because he couldn't motivate enough African-Americans that Clinton right. had done the outreach. So how do you right. respond to that? And why was it that still, if that is true, that, you know, she'd put in the time going to the um, to the various churches for the, for the last yeah. four, eight, 12 years, whatever. Um, yeah. Why is it that then you still couldn't get behind Clinton and was still were a Bernie person. So the Clintons were elected in 92. So in 92, uh, they, they had eight years of the presidency to court these relationships. So uh, when she announced in 2008 and then announced this uh, past cycle, they just had the legacy of all that experience, right? Like having been first lady, having been senator from New York, having had such an elevated position, um, that that was bankable. In terms of uh, the Sanders campaign not appealing to black people, uh, I honestly think that it was just uh, part of it was the schedule, right? So the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary um, and a lot of the races were very front loaded. And if we didn't have a good showing in Iowa and didn't have a good showing in New Hampshire, who cares about South Carolina, right? So mm-hmm. like, uh, so it was kind of a chicken or the egg kind of things to to continue being alive in the presidential primary. You had to do well in Iowa and New Hampshire. By focusing solely on Iowa and New Hampshire, you couldn't necessarily articulate your message uh, to some of the other primary states, thereby uh, cutting into the incumbent advantage that Ms. Clinton had, right? So part of it is just like a logistical uh, scheduling thing. The other part too, I think, is just um, that, and it just goes without saying, is that you know um, a lot of the Bernie campaign brass was from Vermont. Vermont doesn't have a terribly diverse population. So as such, 
it just didn't translate. I think the message could translate, but in terms of like fortifying the messages, it just didn't translate. So I think it's a combination of the scheduling and also just um, they're from Vermont. Okay. Explain to me exactly then what happens to somebody like you to their campaign when Bernie mm-hmm. kind of concedes at the convention. Then mm-hmm. what happens? Do you just automatically then just start working for the Clinton campaign or, or just what, you know, what exactly happens? Because I've always kind of wondered about that. When, when mm-hmm. somebody concedes, what happens to their foot soldiers? So it's interesting. Um, I, at the convention, I was the lead advance, which is like the executive producer for uh, Bernie's speech on Monday um, and the concession. So I'm the, I was a, a guy in the guy in the boiler room on a headset screaming and barking orders to make it make it look good on tv so um, how, how did you feel when all those boos were ringing around when he basically said no we're gonna have to support support hillary uh i thought it was tacky <laughs> so i worked for the party i was one of the managers of the 2008 democratic convention um so i'm equally establishment but also equally progressive mm-hmm. right so whether or not there was malfeasance um in the primary we came in second place. And as someone who has been in the political uh, campaign world since 2004, you know, you kind of keep your family fights internal, put on a united front, and then go beat the other person. And so it kind of struck me as uh, just in poor taste uh, and not necessarily understanding the stakes of the election. You know, of course, as someone who poured his soul um, into the campaign from September through all, through um, through June, I did not like coming in second place. And you know, I, I said this to some of my colleagues. I was like, "You watch stuff on TV that me and my people produce." So um, we, I haven't seen my apartment in six months. <laughs> you know, you go home every night. So in terms of sacrifice, I would venture to say that some of us have sacrificed more than y'all. So if we're not that frustrated, I think y'all need to calm down. I think that, uh, Reggie, is um, a perfect place for us just to take a, a brief pause and let's uh, kind of segue on to music because um, you nominated two pieces of music. Uh, one of them was Get Up Stand Up by Robert Nestamali. Now, mm-hmm. me being of Jamaican stock, I know all about him. So I decided mm-hmm. we're not going to have uh, Robert Nestamali. Um right. I'm more interested in Donny Hathaway. So uh, right. tell me about Someday We'll All Be Free. So to uh, pay homage to Mr. Marley, I think in the times that we live in now, like it's imperative, especially for people in Britain and America, to stand up for your rights, right? So um, I've, I've been playing that on a loop because people have been complacent in the Obama years, think, forgetting the struggle that took place to have these uh, rights that we take for granted. Uh, Donnie Hathaway, I nominated that song because one of the beautiful things about soul music um, is the uh, degree of emotion that is articulated in these songs. Um, so now, especially for people of progressive or democratic uh, political inkling, it's a tough time right now, man. You know what I mean? Like um, President Trump is on a rampage, issuing edict after edict in a democratic system, which is kind of like cacophonous. <laughs> so. Um, there And there are people who not only um, were in the campaign, whether they be Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, there's just a lot of grief there. Um, so what I've been doing is with this song, sharing it because the song is a bluesy song, but it has an uplift as well. And Donny Hathaway's voice is angelic. 
And when he hits these notes in the song, especially on the third verse, it just pulls it pulls your heartstrings and it makes you it makes you uh, inspired for me anyway. admitted uh, Reggie I didn't know I'm gonna say not much I didn't know anything about Donny Hathaway for me <laughs> he just was a, a name I knew the name mm-hmm. um, 
and, and, and for me, that's kind of a, a music which, uh, a type of music which I don't know an awful lot about. Though, for me, I love early 70s music, whether it's soul, whether it's um, rock, pop, because there is a production feel which is actually very light. Right. And before the bass got turned up in about 1976, with, with, with the start of disco, or even in, mm-hmm. even with the start of hip hop, or, or when reggae dub producers kind of got in their pomp, um, if I wanted to kind of immerse myself into a world of soul train and kind of soulful <laughs> soulful 70s uh, grooves and whatever, um, right. who should I be? Who else should I be looking out for? And you can't say the Delphonics. I know, right? Um, Sly and the Family Stone, mm-hmm. uh, Marvin Gaye, of course, uh, Sister Sledge, uh, Staple Singers, uh, right. Peaches and Herb. All right, Staple yeah. Singers, it is on, on the next show. Fantastic. All right, All right. <laughs> um, let's get back to this week because this has been one of the most momentous weeks in U.S. history, let alone U.S. political history. Um, right. You mentioned just before we went into the break that edict after edict has been uh, produced. Um, mm-hmm. Executive orders have been signed by mm-hmm. President Trump. Yeah, with a with, and let me also add with a complicit Congress. Well, right. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, where does the Democratic Party go now? I think interestingly for me, you said you're a, a left independent. Right. Um, but where does the where does the Democratic Party go now? Where does the left go now? Where do progressives go now? What I've been telling people, especially those, um, like I said, I, I was at the convention. I was bilingual, so I was like the Bernie God that spoke of the establishment, and then for the party, I was the establishment God that spoke of the Bernie Sanders people. And what I've been telling people is that like you you can't have one without the other. So without infrastructure and fundraising, there is no get out the vote. So like progressives need the Democratic Party infrastructure. And so when a a lot of Bernie Sanders folks are like, you know, the system is rigged. I was like, the system in and of itself is benign. The operators may have rigged the system, but the system is agnostic. Right. Uh So it's just a means of like fundraising and messaging and communications. Like so that in and of itself is agnostic. In order for you to take a message and broadcast it to millions of people, you need that infrastructure. And in order for you to be successful in our system, you can, that's not going to happen in a year, right? So, like, you can't completely tear down the system and then expect it to just be okay with, with like, a piecemeal, like, thing that you come up with over the course. Of, it, it, that just That's not how it works. Uh, so I think that, you know, progressives need the establishment and the establishment need the progressives. And people have to find a way to come to the middle, um, air the grievances. You know, a lot of my progressive friends are still like, it should, it should this should have happened. Which, you know, as someone who practices yoga, um, I'm focused on the present moment. So, yes, these things happened in the past. Yes, I'm not terribly keen about what's happening or what happened. But we pre- presently, we both need each other and we have to fix that. What's going to happen to people like Nancy Pelosi? For me, I think it's kind of quite significant that you have this largest demonstration in U.S. history. Women and some men, but primarily women all over mm-hmm. the country and another million plus around the world actually right. marched against the incoming president. Yeah. And this was a grassroots movement. This is nothing yeah. at all to do with 
the Democratic Party. So you seem to have the Democrats in in Washington DC, and then you have、mm-hmm. activists、uh, around the country. How is the Democratic Party going to deal with this amount of grassroots fervor, action, and anger? So in a month's time, there's a, there's the election for the Democratic Party chair. So in Atlanta on the 24th of February、uh, is the election for the Democratic Party chair, and so whoever that is、uh, has to come up with a way to acknowledge what's happening and essentially create an opportunity for these voices to a be heard and b me be mobilized into action, right? So a party in and of itself is supposed to art- articulate a vision. And then get people to subscribe to that vision, and then translate that vision in, into electoral success. So you realize what's happening, you tailor your message to what's happening, and then you go get the votes. So that's what needs to happen.、Um, easy to say, harder to do, because you know, unfortunately, in politics, you have to deal with people. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, you can write a plan, but if that offends someone's ego or offends someone's sensibilities, that's where the art comes in. So what next for you? You know the election is over.、Mm-hmm. We, we you, you've lost, and、mm. um, I was going to say you lost bigly, but you didn't lose bigly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do, what are you doing、oh、with yourself、God. right now? <laughs>、uh, just a quick aside, bigly. When I first heard him say that, I was like, "Oh my God, what is happening? What happened? <laughs> like, make make English great again? Come on, and bigly, <laughs> give me a break."、Um, so me,、uh, so I'm. I would be lying to myself to say that I'm not politically interested.、Uh, I view this as a tremendous opportunity for the recalculation and the recalibration of the party.、Um, as for me, I don't really know how I'm going to be involved in it short term because I just spent the last 15 months of my life on the road. So, in addition to the political campaigning、uh, prior to joining Bernie Sanders' campaign, I was on the road for three months in Brazil、uh, doing international education. So I've been on the road out of a suitcase, speaking multiple languages for 15 months.、Um, that's a long time. And so, short term, I'd like to do something a little less frenetic, a little less kinetic, to kind of reboot and rebuild.、Um, but when things get serious, I think it's safe to say that I'll be back, back in the fight. Fantastic. And before you get back in the fight,、um, mm-hmm. there's going to be lots more yoga. Oh my goodness! Like, if you knew how many yoga classes I've taken since Election Day, like、uh, it has been—I've probably taken more classes since the eighth of November than some people have taken in two or three years.、Uh, Reggie Hubbard, if somebody wants to catch up with you and anything that you've written, where can they find、uh, your tomes, sir? I have a, I have a pretty light social media presence,、uh, Facebook, these sorts of things. Uh, I've kept a journal for 20 years, and it's funny that you say, "Where can you find your tome?" Because a lot of my friends have been pushing me to, to write either a blog or a, a journal or a book,、um, because you know there aren't that many people that have been behind the scenes in any of these movements. So I don't know. I, I, maybe that's what I do in the next little bit is like write a book and then figure it out. Reginald Hubbard, thank you for coming on to Friday 15. Yeah, brother. Thank you. Cheers.
Rock the Casbah was musically written by the Clash's drummer, Topper Hedden, based on a piano part that he'd been toying with. Finding himself in the studio without his three bandmates, Hedden progressively taped the drum, piano and bass parts, recording the bulk of the songs and musical instrumentation all by himself. Bjork released in 2001 the instrumental interlude Frosty. It's more of a metallic tundra, a fairy tale like sounding musical box theme. Contact me by sending me an email where I'm quite simply royfield at gmail.com. Follow our page on Facebook. You can go there and just type in Friday 15 and you can see the progress of the show. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that where I am at Royfield. That has been me. See you again next Friday for 50 minutes of chat and 50 minutes of great music. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 